church. Wow, you're looking awesome this morning. You can find a seat, that's fine. So good. I was watching Josh on the drums this morning. I'm like, I don't know how they do that, how they kick their feet and hit the toms at the same time and it sounds right. I don't know. Who says guys can't do more than one thing at a time? Right? (laughs) Well, it's awesome. We are in the theme, We the Church. We, the church, the church is not necessarily a building, this is where we gather, the church is us, and we hear that all the time, but I feel like, you know, sometimes we have a blockage to actually understanding that, and um, so we're, we're doing this theme over March, uh, sorry, March, I'm already in March, no, January and February, and uh, we, the church, and so I want to share out of the parable of the talents But before we do that, I want to share a little story out of my own personal life. Sam and I have four children, and um, Maya, Layla, Judah, and Jesse. And Jesse's three years old. He just turned three at Christmas time. And um, he's the cutest. I have the best kids, honestly. My kids are amazing little people. Like, I just think I hit, I got the lottery. Like, I won the lottery when it came to my kids. They're amazing, amazing children. And um, it was this one particular morning at the end of last year. And, um, you know, Sam does the morning shift. He does the morning shift. He's awesome as well. He does breakfast. And so if it was up to me, no one would get fed because I need to do my hair in the morning. So Sam does breakfast. And we do everything as a team. We, so that's just how we do it. And we actually really like hanging out together. Um, We do everything as a team. (laughs) I've got the microphone, so he's just going to agree with everything. And so he does the morning shift. And so he was um, was doing the usual thing, toast or cereal or whatever it is, and, and I was getting ready. And so the way it rolls out is, you know, we lay, I lay everything out the night before, and they get up, they have breakfast, then they get themselves ready for the day, and then usually they just have some time to hang out. And so it was, it was that moment, and so Sam was probably sitting down and relaxing after doing crazy breakfast shift, and the kids were just entertaining themselves as they do. And so I'm upstairs getting ready, and the kids are downstairs doing whatever they were doing. And we have this staircase that runs through the middle of our house, and underneath it is a big, like, closet, walk-in kind of closet that we keep our school bags and shoes and that sort of thing in. And so they thought it would be funny to torment their youngest, Jesse, by locking him in this dark closet. And so I'm upstairs. I didn't know really what was going on. I was aware they were downstairs doing something until I heard this blood-curdling scream. The kind of scream, like by the time you've had four children, the fourth one, you know when it's a genuine cry and you know when it's not. You know when they're just trying to get attention and they'll be fine. And you also know when you actually need to drop everything and go and see what's just taken place. It was one of those screams. And so we ran down there to find Jesse clutching his little hand because, you know, and I have to, I have to exclude Maya from this. She's 11, so she's past this stage. But Layla and Judah especially thought this was a hilarious thing to be doing. And they were locking him in this closet And he was trying to get out. And in trying to get out, put his chubby little hand in the door as I was slamming it. 
oh, and he's really chubby. And so he's got these little fingers that are like so chubby and they're like little sausages. They're like, and so he's clutching them and all of them were bleeding. All of them, I was like, that looks really, really sore. And as a parent, you can't react, you know, because if you react, then it just makes it a thousand times worse because they milk it then and they're even more afraid then. And so you're kind of like, oh, you'll be right. Oh, my goodness. Come on, let's just get an ice pack on it and run it under some really cold water and, and just, you know, let's just sit down and cuddle for a while. And also by the fourth child, you know you don't need to rush off to hospital for every single thing. And so I don't know whether I did the right thing or not, but we didn't rush off to the hospital. I realized from previous experiences that they probably would have said to me, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. Just go home and wrap it up and put it on some ice. And so that's what I did. And so for, I don't know, at least two days, maybe even three days, he walked around like this. He walked around with his hand elevated. He walked around protecting these sore little fingers he even slept like this. I would go in and check on him and he was like this with his little sausage fingers totally squashed. And, you know, when you've damaged your fin fingers, um, sometimes if it's bad enough, the nails turn black. And so two of his nails turn black. And then if it's bad enough, they actually fall off the nails. And so it got to a stage a few weeks later where he had these nails that were just like, just barely hanging on. But he was so protective of this little hand that he was like, nobody is coming near this. No one is coming near me. And so they're just sort of hanging there and starting to get caught on everything. And so eventually I said to him, Jess, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to take these nails off. And he started screaming, no, no, don't touch them, no, no, no. I was like, we actually have to. It'll feel better after it's done. No, no, no. Then I pulled out the clippers. It just went up a few levels. And I took a, a, a risk, right? I picked him up. I put him on the bench in front of me. And I looked him, I cupped his chubby, round little face. And I looked him in the eyes. And I said, Jess. I love you. Do you trust me? And he went. I was shocked. Because he could have just gone, no, I don't trust you. Leave me alone. But he actually gave me his hand. I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. And I said to him, you just need to, don't look at what mummy's going to do. You look over there and I'll, I'll do this while you're not looking. So he did. He wasn't, hadn't even turned three yet. And he actually, he actually did it and let me take the nails off. And I realized, obviously, somehow in his short little life, I had built enough rapport with him that he knew he could trust me. Somehow... He actually was willing to hand his sore little hand over to me with silver-like equipment and face a prospect that was not very exciting to him. And it made me think, do I trust God like that? 
do I trust God like that? Many of us have damaged our own lives. We've got bits hanging off us that are getting caught on everything. And God's just saying to you, I love you. Do you trust me? Because he has shown us over and over and over again how much he loves us. We can trust him, but sometimes we don't allow the things that God has for us to actually take place because we're afraid of being hurt. And so we've become accustomed to these things in our lives that are actually continuing to cause us pain or discomfort. And instead of stepping fully into what God has for us, we live in half-truths. We live in a place of, I can still function like this. We live in a place of accepting less than the goodness and the health of God. Because we're not willing to step fully into what God has for us out of a need for self-protection. And we don't actually, there's something in our psyche that doesn't allow us to cross the line to go, I can trust God. I can trust Him. I actually can step across that line that may seem scary and uncomfortable, but I can trust Him. I can trust Him because I know He's got my best interests at heart, and I know He knows better than I do. And so we've become accustomed to receiving disease, receiving poverty, receiving confusion. And we make room for these things in our lives and we live with them in our house. And God's going, that's not your portion. That's not what I have for you. I actually have complete freedom from that for you. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? Do you believe me? And so we excuse him from the miraculous. We excuse him and we live in half-truth, part-truth. And so I want to pick up the story in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Now, the story of the parable of the talents is written in two Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And I have spent almost three years now studying the book of Luke. When I first became a Christian, I loved the book of John because John's all heart. And he's a writer and he's poetic. And so I just loved the book of John. But lately, in the last few years, been studying the book of Luke. And what I've learned about Luke is that he actually wasn't one of the disciples. He was just a follower of Jesus, an observer. He was a physician, a doctor. And so he provides us with meticulous detail that John doesn't because John's just like, you know, off with the fairies. But Luke... Luke gives us detail. He gives us detail and he also presents Jesus' agenda. And he presents us with Jesus' agenda, which is a deep love for children, the rejected, and women. And so he presents us with these, these amazing facts. And the, the pattern of Luke's writing is quite amazing. Actually, without the book of Luke, we wouldn't know about... The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the wedding banquet. It's only the book of Luke that we find stories of the shepherds at Bethlehem, the ten lepers, the young man from Nain who was raised from the dead, the dying thief on the cross next to Jesus. How did the other three miss that? I'm really grateful for the 
the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to read this parable out of the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read it from the message version on the screen. Uh, verse 11, chapter 19. While, and this is Jesus. While he had their attention, and because they were getting close to Jerusalem by this time, an ex expectation was building that God's kingdom would appear at any minute, he told them this story. There was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called ten servants together and gave them each a sum of money and instructed them, operate with this until I return. But the citizens there hated him, so they sent a commission with a signed petition to oppose his rule. We don't want this man to rule over us. And I want to just press pause, side note, this is our day today. Jesus is talking about himself. We, the church, are in this gap right here. He's gone. He's coming back. He's left us with everything pertaining to goodly, goodness and godliness. We are the servants who have been entrusted with everything we need to operate. There is also a nation, a world, a culture that hates him and is opposing his rule but he's coming back whether they like it or not. So this is the gap we, the church, find ourselves in. We move on. When he came back, bringing the authorization of his rule, he called those 10 servants to whom he'd given the money to find out how they'd done. The first one said, Master, I doubled your money. He said, good, good servant, great work. Because you've been trustworthy in this small job, I'm making you governor of 10 towns. Matthew says, that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 18, the second man said, Master, I made a 50% profit on your money. He said, I'm putting you in charge of five towns. The next servant said, Master, here's your money, safe and sound. I kept it hidden in the cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know that you have high standards and you hate sloppiness and don't suffer fools gladly. He said, you're right that I don't suffer fools gladly and you've acted like a fool. Why didn't you at least invest my money in securities so that I would have gotten a little interest on it? Then he said to those standing there, take the money from him and give it to the servant who doubled my stake. They said, but master, he already has double. And he said, that's what I mean. If you risk your life and get more than you'll get more than you ever dreamed of, if you play it safe, you'll end up holding the bag. As for these enemies of mine who petitioned against my rule, clear them out of here. I don't want to see their faces around here again. We the church, we the church are his remaining expression in the earth while he's away. And the earth is groaning for us to show what it is to be full of the Spirit. The earth is groaning for a manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. The earth is wanting to know how good this God is. The earth is wanting to know. The earth is wanting to know, is it possible? Is it possible to live free and whole? Is it possible to live full of joy and hope and expectation? Is it possible to live in a way where we are a blessing? We're not only blessed, but we're overflowing. The earth is groaning and waiting for us. We are his representation while he's away. We, the church, that's us. That's us. And he's entrusted so much to us 
He's entrusted so much to us. And so I want to present three ideas to you this morning about the will of God. I want to present the idea of His will, free will, and goodwill. And when we talk about the will of God, I just finished reading an amazing book that I highly recommend if you want, if you want to challenge your thinking about how to live in this life, I recommend this book, God is Good by Bill Johnson. And in it, he explains the will of God. And many of us wrestle with the will of God because we hear things like God's sovereign and God's in charge. Well, how come my life isn't stacking up? And how come we see sickness? And how come we see lack? If God's sovereign and he's in charge, then how come all this stuff is taking place? Well, I learned that actually there are two types of will when we read it in the scripture. And the first one is the bolema, which is his unchanging plan. The bolema will of God is like that parable where he is coming back. You and I can't change that. He's coming back. He always planned to send his son and he did. He was always going to die on the cross and he did. He was always going to be raised from the dead and he was and he's coming back whether we like it or not there is an unchanging will of God that is not determined by anything but his will it's happening but then there's also the thelema will of God which is his desired intention in first Timothy 2 verse 4 it says that God wills that all would be saved it's his will that all would be saved are they no no, they're not. Why? Because there's a part of God's will that is activated by us. He intends and his will is goodness. His will for your life is endlessly good, bigger and better than you could possibly dream or imagine. But a part of it is actioned by you. A part of it is activated and stepped into by you and this is the philema will of God and so it's really important for us to understand and so Jesus in his earthly ministry this is God this is the word of God who came off his throne took off his crown put on flesh and was born by a virgin girl entered the earth just like you and I and in his earthly ministry displayed for us God's intention. He displayed for us that God's will is always, and I just made a really quick list, always healing. He healed the lame man, the blind man, the centurion servant, the blood condition, the dead girl. Actually, every single person who was brought to him was healed. Not one sick person who was brought to Jesus left sick. It is always his will to heal always oh my goodness I wish we would stop excusing God he wants to heal every single disease he wants to heal every single infirmity these names that doctors put on us are not what God showed us through Jesus every single infirmity was healed in the presence of Jesus glad 10 people agree with me his intention is always peace he even calmed a raging storm his intention for your life 
is not chaos. It is not storm. His intention for you is calm, is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. That is always His will for your life. His will is always salvation. The thief on the cross, right on the last moment, we see Jesus offering to people salvation over and over and over. It is always His will. Deliverance. We see Him delivering the tormented man, woman, and boy. Every single person who was tormented was delivered in the presence of Jesus. His will is always, okay, not just provision, but abundance. Always abundance. If you're praying for God to make ends meet, your prayer is not big enough. Because His will is always abundance. He turned water into wine, too much wine, the best wine. He took a little boy's lunch and multiplied it over that much that there were 12 basketfuls left over after feeding 5,000 people. His will is always provision and abundance. His will is always forgiveness, the woman caught in adultery. His will is always freedom. He went across the lake and after he calmed the storm, he met a man who was bound up in shackles and hiding in the caves, tormented, and he set him free. He went out of his way for this man and set him free. His will is always life. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to live and a time to die. And so we live and die in his timing. When it's not his timing, he's not happy about it. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised a young boy from the dead. He raised a young girl from the dead. His will is always wholeness, always. Jesus made right every situation he walked into. Never, ever, ever, not once did he leave a situation unmet. Completely, completely met, completely satisfied over and above. And so my conclusion should be, well, if I'm full of the Spirit that He sent, and if He said, greater things than these shall I do, then that should be my portion. I should be living in that reality. And so my conclusion should be, the will of God is complete wholeness for my life. Complete wholeness for my life but I have to understand the role I play within that will. Within that will. He wills for us to be exceptional representatives of His fullness in the earth. But it moves us onto free will. Because God does have a will, and so we, we, we have in one hand the amazing will of God. The will of God that is full. There is no lack, there are no gaps. There are no shortcomings in the will of God for your life and mine. But we also have divine potential placed on the inside of us. And this parable tells us that there's a part that needs to be actioned and diligent in order to see that fullness come to pass. So because we have the will of God and we have free will, it means we're not entitled to a free ride. And many times I've heard the grace message twisted. Oh, well, I'm just going to sit back. 
and whatever will be will be because of the will of God. That is such rubbish and that is deception. Well, you can't strive like that. It's, that's works. No, my friend, it's called stewardship. It's called stewardship because the servant who did just sit back and put it in the cellar had it taken from him because he wasn't diligent and Jesus is not a socialist because there's a part <laughs> there's a part of God's plan that says I have put greatness on the inside of you and I believe in you I have put all of heaven inside of you I have put strategy and talent and insight and gifting in you. If you will partner with me, we will do the unthinkable. We will do the unthinkable. But if you just coast along, you're not going to see that potential come out. You're not going to see the fullness of God come out in your life. And I believe God is just waiting for us to activate those things he's already given us to activate and be diligent stewards of what it is that he's already given us. Free will is the path to divine potential. Abundance is your portion and good stewardship is your mandate. In Matthew 25, 21, the same story, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Faithful equals fruitful. Faithfulness is not just turning up. Faithfulness is fruitfulness. God measures our faithfulness by our fruitfulness. And the last thing is trusting the goodwill of God, trusting his goodness. He is so good. He is so good. He is endlessly good. If my version of God is not boundlessly good, then I'm wrong about him. He has proven over and over the depth of his love, and I can trust him. Just like Jesse, just like Jesse, being able to trust and rest and know. Sometimes the silver equipment looks scary. Sometimes the prospect seems grim. But I'm looking you in the eye, Father God. And something in me just knows it's going to be okay. I trust you. I trust you. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to offer you my obedience my diligence and trust. Do you trust God to be good in everything? We need boldness. We need boldness to access our healing and our transformation and our freedom. And we can only access that kind of confidence when we know resolutely that he's good. When you know he's good, you can believe. When you know his will is wholeness, 
you can believe. When you trust, you can believe. When you doubt, you'll find it hard. You'll find it hard. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord on my soul. When you know your soul, your soul, you need to speak to your soul. Your soul is not your spirit. We are made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. The spirit is the only part of us we're taking to heaven. The soul and the flesh are the things we wrestle with here on this earth. And the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The things you think about and wrestle with, that's your soul. And I have this picture of entering heaven, my spirit entering heaven as a pygmy version because I've allowed my soul to dominate my spirit. And I'm not a full grown expression of who I was intended to be. I don't know whether that's um, heresy or not, whether we just enter as a spirit and you know, like sizes are not a thing. But I have this picture that there are so many Christians who allow their soul to dictate to their spirit. And it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we wrestle. And so you need to speak to your will. You need to speak to your emotions and you need to speak to your mind. And this is what David is doing here. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. When we come in on a Sunday morning, can I tell you, I stood in the front row one Sunday when I thought I was losing a child. I thought I was miscarrying. And I had to sing a song whose lyrics said, with all that is within me, I will bless the Lord. In that moment, I told my soul to get in line with the will of God. In that moment, Pastor Carolina with her hair and her shoes on the front line was going through hell and had to tell her soul, shut up. You will bless the Lord. You will see the goodness of God. You will step into the fullness of God. We have to speak to our souls. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. Who forgives how much? How much? All your iniquities. Who heals how much? How much? How much does He heal? All your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things and so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? How much? Come on, church. How much are you living in all? Are you living in all? All your diseases all your iniquities, all your shortcomings, all the things where there are gaps. He covers it all, all. Don't read the scripture like as if it's just a poetic suggestion. It's a promise. All, 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 all. Luke 5. And it happened that 
Jesus was in a certain city, and behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? You can make me clean. Words you can take to the bank. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I am willing. My goal this morning is to help you see the goodness of God. To help you see that His will is perfect. There is no gap. That's my goal. My goal is to challenge you to dare to believe in the fullness of God and His intention for you to live in that place. My goal today is to challenge some of us to believe again. Some of us have stopped believing because it hurts too much to believe. And I've been challenged personally I've personally been supernaturally healed and I've seen the supernatural healing take place in people close to me and around me. But I have also allowed unanswered prayer to silence that testimony. And in doing that, my unanswered prayer have lessened my faith, have muzzled my faith. Those prayers have challenged my belief. And I've come into a place just this year, I'm like, no, no, I will believe until. Because His will is always to heal. His will is always to set free, to forgive, to provide, and to give abundance. Your portion is abundance, not just enough. Abundance. You are His remaining expression on the earth. There cannot be lack in your testimony. The earth can't afford your lack in your testimony. The earth is groaning for a full manifestation of the goodness of God. Salvation will happen when His church shines, when His church lives in fullness. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that it's not my words this morning, Lord, and I ask your grace just to cover us, Holy Spirit, for the circumstances here that are contrary to your will. I ask for your intervention. I wonder who here is bold enough to stand right now. No one's looking around. But just to stand and say, yeah, I have disease in my body. I have lack around my life. I'm believing for salvation. If that's you, be bold enough to stand this morning and I'm going to pray for a miracle.
Spirit. Have your way. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your perfect will. For your perfect will. Lord Jesus, for these circumstances that are rearing their heads and challenging the word of God. Father God, I just remind, I remind those circumstances, those reports, those conditions, those situations, that it's the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. But you came that we would have life and life more abundantly. And where the thief has tried to kill, steal and destroy, today we resist him. Today we resist him. Today we force him out of our lives. We kick him out the door. We tell him where he belongs and that is not in your presence. That is not among your people. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your will we have abundance and we have fullness. Holy Spirit, I ask that even in this moment that you would work your miracle working power. Father, I pray for healing by the blood of Jesus. Father God, I thank you that in this moment you are orchestrating things that will change circumstances. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, for an unlocking of the spiritual realm over these households, over these situations. Father God, I pray for an opening of the heavenly realms to move into these situations. Father God, I pray for these ones who are actioning their faith, who are saying, I am going to dare to believe. I am going to take my request to God because I know He's good, because I know His will, because I trust Him. Father, and I thank You that You meet them where they're at. Holy Spirit, I thank You for the miraculous to take place. Lord Jesus, I thank You for testimonies that will glorify who You are. Lord, testimonies who will glorify who You are. We bind up every work of darkness by the name of Jesus. Father, and we loose all of heaven in the name of Jesus by Your Spirit. We thank You, Lord God, for testimonies that will glorify who You are. In Your name we pray. Amen. 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 You can take a seat. Well done. Thank You, Lord. And I just want to put an invitation out. Because you know what? God can heal us. But there is going to come a time where we meet Him face to face. And on that day, on that day, He wants to welcome you home. And in our parable, there were people who refused Him. They refused Him. And it's so futile to refuse someone who loves you and provides for you. But it's deception that does that. And it's, it's fear, it's doubt, it's shame. But I want to put an invitation out to maybe someone here, maybe a few people here. And you're outside the family of God. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you've done this life and you've tried to make sense of the code of life. And you find yourself in a place of question and you find yourself in a place of confusion. I want to tell you the only place anything makes sense is in the presence of God. I can tell you by my own testimony, none of it makes sense out there. It all makes sense in the presence of God. And all the stuff that's happened behind you, even that makes sense in the presence of God. Even that, even that. And so I want to ask you, because He's reaching out to you and He's saying, will you come back? Will you come back? Will you accept my lordship over your life? Will you, will you come back to me? 
what it means is turning your back on a world that's already turned its back on you. It means turning fully in the face of the one who created you and gave his own life for you so that you could live in wholeness in this life and the next. And I wonder if you're here today and you're estranged from God. You're not in relationship with Jesus. You don't sense the Holy Spirit around your life. But today, you want to accept the invitation and no one's looking around. And I just want to pray with you if that's you. Would you just give me a wave? Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else as I look across? Maybe you're here and you've been invited by somebody and something's stirring within you. That's actually the Holy Spirit saying to you, I'm drawing you. If that's you, give me a wave. If you want to respond. Anyone like that? Awesome. I see your hand. So good. Lord Jesus, you see our hearts. Father, I know that there are many people, Lord, who who come into this place of decision. And we thank you for the ones who have responded this morning. Lord, we celebrate with you and with all of heaven for the ones who come home. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, for maybe those ones who wrestled in their hearts, that you would that you would meet them where they're at because it's about our heart anyway. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that your forgiveness and your grace comes rushing in like a flood in those times. I thank you that they are becoming your children, that they've been adopted into your family. Lord Jesus, I pray a hedge of protection around them. Father God, I pray that this would be an unlocking of revelation of who they are in you. Father, that is not a striving, but it is a discovery of who it is you always intended them to be what it is you always intended for them by the goodness of your son, Jesus. And Father God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness that comes in a moment of turning back to you. In Jesus' mighty name, let's give them a round of applause. Well done. Well done.